Catch Your Preparedness Journal Club podcast, brought to you by the Centre for Excellence in Emergency Preparedness. I'm Daniel Colick of McMaster University in Hamilton and a member of the SEEP Executive. This podcast is dedicated to reviewing the most recent disaster literature and providing for each podcast topic opinions from experts in the field and a review of the most recent articles. We try to keep stuff very, very current. The team behind the program are Dr. Valérie Homier of McGill and Dr. Jared Bly of Edmonton. Thanks are also due to the medical librarians at McGill who have been scouring the literature in order to bring us the most recent and relevant papers. These were reviewed by Dr. Homier and the team of medical students in order to select the most relevant for today's presentation. Before we go to today's uh, topic, a quick reminder that beyond this podcast, the Center for Excellence offers a multitude of educational resources at our website, which is www.ceep.ca. Also coming soon will be an accredited course covering all aspects of healthcare disaster preparedness uh, for facilities. That's going to launch in May uh, and a conference in Israel, hopefully for 2024. So please stay tuned because there's a lot of stuff coming down line, as well as what is already posted there. There's a whole library of resources. I now hand over to Dr. Homier, who will introduce our guests for this podcast. Thank you, Daniel. Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to meet again for another episode. Today, the topic is the healthcare response to mass shootings. The topic is not to discuss the response when there is a shooter inside the hospital. It is actually to discuss how to treat mass casualties coming from a shooting that occurred in the community. Hi everyone, I'm Heather Coombs. I'm an emergency physician in Montreal. I have uh, 20 years experience with the military with a number of deployments and I do consultation for special operations with EMS, uh, fire and police in Montreal. Thank you, Heather. Next, let's hear from Nicholas Zelt. Hi, my name is Nicholas Zelt. I'm a second year emergency medicine resident at uh, McGill University, and I'm also the host for the Journal Feed podcast, um, where I'm, uh, I also do editing for their blog. Thank you, Nicholas, for joining. And we have also Adam Cohen, who's with us today. Adam? Hi, I'm Adam Cohen. I'm the owner of the security company Perceptage. Uh, and in my past, I was the head of security for the Canadian Jewish Congress, therefore training schools and places of worship against uh, mass shootings and uh, emergency preparedness. Excellent. Thank you, Adam. So we think you can bring some um, uh, different perspective and interpretation for this article. And I'd like to mention also that our regular collaborator, Jared Bly, has a role in trauma care. So I'd like to hear just a little explanation about that uh, for our audience, Jared. Sure. So I'm an emergency physician um, in, in Edmonton at the Royal Alexander Hospital with a clinical academic appointment at the University of Alberta. One of the trauma team leaders, so called in uh, on certain criteria and, and major traumas when they present to the emergency room. The article we're discussing today is entitled Mass Shootings in America, Consensus Recommendations for Healthcare Response. The lead author is Dr. Craig Goolsby. There are a series of other authors which are listed on the slide. It is um, available ahead of print. It will be published in the Journal of the American College of Surgery in 
2023, January, coming up very soon. Here's a little overview of the paper. The objective of the study was to identify recommendations for mass shooting, healthcare preparation and response. The design is a three-round modified Delphi process designed to achieve consensus among participants. So who were the participants in the Delphi study? There were 15 participants. They all had to have either EMS, emergency medicine or surgery expertise. And they had to have participated directly in the medical response to at least one of six selected mass shootings uh, in uh, the US. Uh, and these shootings were determined uh, because they were recent and had a large number of victims. A little bit more detail about the methodology. Round one was a pre-workshop that included a two-part online survey that the participants had to complete. Round two was uh, conducted on the first day of a virtual workshop in 2021. And that included some presentations by the participants of their experience and the identification excuse me, identification of 12 common themes that require attention for improvement of healthcare response. Round three was on the second day of the virtual workshop. And then there was a selection of the top 10 themes that were common between the different groups. And then recommendations were listed. So there were three groups of participants, as mentioned before, EMS, emergency medicine, or surgery. On the following slides, you will see the 12 common themes from rounds one and two. For sake of time, I will just uh, let you read those or take a look, a quick glance. I divided them six on the first slide and six on this following slide. Okay, so lots of themes covered. And there were three additional themes that the EMS subgroup added, which you can see on the slide, unified command, scene management, EMS to hospital assistance. Now, this slide is quite heavy, but it's just to explain how the uh, recommendations are presented in the paper. So you can see on the column on the left, what are the themes and then what were the recommendations given by the pre-hospital group? That's the second column. The third column, emergency medicine. Third, co fourth column is surgery. And then finally, the last column on the right, shows us the common recommendation, what everybody agreed um, for, upon on, for each theme. So this is where I'll spend a little bit more time. So let's focus on the eight key areas in the end that really were uh, the take home messages from uh, this Delphi process, this big uh, assessment of what went down in those uh, shootings and what were some recommendations for improvement. So. There are eight th key areas, readiness training, public education, triage, communication, patient tracking, medical records, family reunification, and mental health services. So for the first uh, common uh, recommendation for readiness training, they mention with no surprise that it should be interprofessional and interdisciplinary. It should include various agencies, including 911 dispatch centers, fire departments, law enforcement, hospital, and it should include senior leadership and ancillary personnel. So basically everybody should get training for this kind of event. 
public education. So in this process, Delphi process, they found that the public will help during mass shooting incidents. Overall, the participants thought that the feedback was quite favorable about the performance or the involvement of the uh, public, including for interventions such as tourniquet application. There were some concerns, though, about the public transporting patients to hospitals for two reasons. They found that uh, the patient, the public, did not know which hospitals were currently overwhelmed and did not know which hospitals were actually trauma centers. And so it caused that a lot of patients were sent to the wrong hospitals that could not offer the optimal care. It was recommended that there should be some consideration for either advanced or real-time education of the public about where patients should go when injured. So now let's talk about triage. This was quite interesting. They identified that the current uh, tools that are used uh, in EMS and emergency medicine, so such as the SALT or the START, were not necessarily most effective and they question actually their effectiveness. They recommended modification or replacement of those tools by tri anatomic triage. So considering the location of gunshot wounds and prioritizing the care based on the potential lethality of the injury based on the anatomy. They also mentioned that triage should be recurrent and dynamic. So it should be done on scene at the ED entrance and again, repeated later in the emergency department process. They also mentioned, and again, this was a common recommendation that a surgeon should be involved in triage. So obviously not providing direct care to patients, but focusing on uh, deciding uh, triage and uh, priority for OR. Okay, so the three groups recommended that there would be a, there should be a direct link between the incident scene and the clinicians. So what they mentioned is that often during the MCIs, the clinicians were communicating with their own cell phones with the scene responders, bypassing uh, the uh, traditional uh, uh, communication system. And so the participants recommended developing and implementing communication methods that allow for, yeah, this kind of direct communication in future incidents. Moving along, now we're talking about patient tracking. Patient tracking was, with no surprise, a frequent, frequent problem encountered in the response to mass shootings. The current systems are cumbersome and require different methods for patient identification. So in the pre-hospital setting, the hospital setting, also for inter-hospital transfers. So not a unique method, and they re recommend a national tracking mechanism, including, for example, barcodes that could be used from the point of injury and throughout the healthcare system. Medical records. Again, this has been uh, mentioned many times in the past. Electronic health rec records were identified as a, a significant impediment uh, to uh, documentation, and they found that uh, low-tech alternatives uh, had to be used, and they recommend these types of uh, tools. So simpler apps or alternative versions of electronic health records that are, could be much shorter, uh, obviously paper charts as well. Family reunification. 
patient families often arrived at the scene of the hospital and they were overwhelming the normal mechanisms to uh, support them and provide them with information. So they listed examples of successful responses that we should try to repeat in future events, which was uh, identifying, identifying sites where you can do the um, management of uh, families and, and uh, reunification of uh, family members. So for example, in a convention center near the incident, as opposed to sending everybody to the hospitals. They also mentioned interesting uh, tools to help in this process, including broadcasting through social and mass media. Mental health services now. So they did recognize that uh, responding to a mass shooting event uh, caused a significant emotional toll for the responders. And they recommended a proactive and rapid mental health support uh, service uh, to be put in place. And they also mentioned that these services should be tailored to the particular group uh, requiring support. So group um, meaning responding on the scene, responding inside the hospital, and uh, potentially uh, those uh, uh, working in 911 uh, centers. So the idea is to debrief uh, with people who had a common experience. I just finished telling you about the eight key areas. I did read the supplemental material provided in the article, and I just uh, identified a couple of elements pertaining to communication that I thought I should mention that were additional elements that could be uh, considered for future improvement. So they have to do with both internal communication and external communication. With regards to internal communication, it was mentioned that the layout inside the emergency department uh, had an impact on internal communication and they did not recommend a separate e emergency medicine and trauma area because that created a problem uh, for management of the casualties and decision for uh, OR priority. They did bring up the possibility of uh, establishing a second charge nurse station for the shooting victims to help with communication. And finally, they recommended to use a group activation plan as opposed to individual uh, texts or calls in terms of uh, informing everyone of uh, the uh, disaster situation. And finally, with regards to external communication, they mentioned that well-established communication systems, such as those mentioned on the slide here, worked well even during crisis. They recommended for a two-tiered external communication plan that so would include two stages. The first stage would be stage one, which would be automatically activated when there is information regarding a mass shooting uh, being uh, in development with a predetermined number of patients to trigger this, so five or 10, for example. And stage two would be a second communication a plan that would be tailored to the specific uh, event based on the information available. All right, so this is my last slide here. So I'm taking a few moments now to just go over the limitations uh, with this uh, uh, publication, just a few here. So basically there were 15 clinicians uh, involved in the Delphi process. 
And these participants may not necessarily be representative of all stakeholders involved in the response to mass shootings. So we have to take, obviously, these recommendations with a grain of salt. Uh, and uh, secondly, the virtual format for the discussion may not have been optimal. They recognize that. And last point, the conference did not address prevention of mass shootings, which probably would be the best way to minimize uh, death uh, from mass shootings. But really, the focus here was response and not prevention. And as usual, I'm going to ask Daniel to be the first one to speak. So first, I'm going to ask you, Daniel, to give us an overview of your appreciation for this paper. What did you think of it? And pick one aspect that you want to go into more detail about. This is an article by surgeons who are talking about stuff. Yes, they brought in other people, EMS and, and emergency, but they involved zero nurses. That's, that struck me right up front, reading the methodology. Zero nurses. They involved people, uh, in. They, they commented on fields such as mental health, communication, family unification, none of which is their field of expertise. Uh, so... I was struck right up front. Their recommendations, a lot of them are very, in fact, all of them are good. But is this really their role and is this complete? So my first thought up front was that there's something seriously lacking here in terms of who they brought in, because it's sort of like they're alone in the building. And the best example of that is having a separate disaster plan uh, for uh, specifically for mass shootings with a surgeon at triage. We know that if you have a multitude of disaster plans for different subsets, you will cause confusion. What you need to have is an all-hazards plan that you can plug specific things into. And that is totally lacking here. They really create this sort of specifically mass casualty for mass shooting uh, scenario, and they create this very finite plan. So right up front, <laughs> by the time I was through with methodology, I already had my 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 defense is up and say, come on, I want to fight with these guys, uh, which is which is really not a good way to read a paper. Um, calm myself down, went through the recommendations, and the recommendations are good. The only thing is, almost none of them are new. You'll find almost all of these in the uh, Cape position paper on disaster preparedness, maybe phrased differently. There's nothing new here. The few things that are innovative were uh, the idea of uh, the uh, triage for gunshots. I thought that was a cool idea. And that is specifically an EMS thing, you know, which is different. But uh, there's nothing else here that's particularly new. So I'm going to stop at that. I can go into details later because I, I literally have a page full of scribbles of things that said, how can they say this? Uh, and what is no novel about it? Uh, but I think that that's seriously lacking that the team that was involved in creating this paper right up front was not adequate, was not the whole team. And then they have the gall at the end to say, yes, we have to have this sort of multidisciplinary stuff. Well, where are the other disciplines? You only have physicians. Yeah, I agree. Lots of things are not new, but we can also use those as a, a reminder for all important information and, and, and elements to put in place for disaster response. I agree this these recommendations are not specific to mass shooting. Heather, I'm gonna ask you to, to see if, if there's anything you'd like to add on, on this concept of triage based on anatomy, based on 
the location of the gunshot? So I will say that there has been some studies done about what exactly people use for triage in EMS. So you may have start, you may have salt, and you may be told to use triage tool X, Y, or Z in your system. But in the end, uh, I think there was a study of, out of Australia that talked about most people really use their gut in the end. They look, they assess, and they quickly decide whether that person is a prior one, two, or, or other. So I think and in doing so, are we already subconsciously actually looking at the injury pattern? I think that's the question. I don't think we know the answer. Okay, so that will be interesting to look at. Maybe do a little research on that. Uh, what tools actually exist that are really based on um, the anatomy as, re as they recommend in this paper. Okay, all right. Thanks, Heather. We'll come back to you later. Uh, so next, I'd like to hear from um, Jared Bly. Uh, you are TTL, trauma team leader. Uh, you work with surgeons, you work with your emergency medicine colleagues. I wanted just to hear your thoughts overall on this paper. And again, if you'd like to pick one element uh, more specifically to comment on further. I think it's um, important just to put a context to the this whole paper and the context is very, very, very limited um, and hard to generalize. So we know that gun violence is is almost exclusively not we know that mass shootings have happened in other countries but by far and away the vast majority of gun violence is in the united states and that's i read in one commentary um on gun control and things like that that the second amendment is non-negotiable um so the whole country is founded on access to firearms and so this is an American problem. Um, but secondarily, their limitations, um, recognizably, this is expert opinion. I mean, it's a scientific approach to expert opinion, the Delphi process, but it's, it's still that we're going to the oracles. The, that's what the Delphi process comes from, is the ancient Greek uh, oracle thing. And so the surgeons are our oracles in this case. Um, and uh, Daniel's already touched on on those limitations, um, but the other thing then is they take they take this huge issue of gun violence and they take away um, they only focus on the mass shootings, which are really a tiny percentage of deaths even in the United States of gun violence, and then even within that narrow focus, they take away prevention of mass shootings. So it's really a very narrow focus and very limited to generalizability okay absolutely so it, it's it's going to be limited for sure but we still have to acknowledge that uh, you know they they the these authors were involved and there's not too many people who have that experience so i think it's still a good read uh, to to see their perspective uh thanks for sharing that with us um jared and uh, we'll see because yes an american problem for for the size that it is in the us i don't think it's as as much of a problem anywhere else in terms of the number of deaths and the frequency of these events but we all know of shootings that occurred in other countries as well uh i can say that montreal is uh, as far as i know the only city in the world to have 
had uh, three mass shootings in uh, school. Uh, so uh, that's not a good statistic. Um, okay, so now I'm going to bring up uh, Adam if you want to unmute. So you have a different perspective. Obviously, this paper is written by clinicians mostly. Uh, I personally noticed that there was not much mention about uh, the security aspect for hospitals responding to mass shootings. So that would be one area I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Are there specific elements of uh, uh, response for, for hospitals and for EMSA agencies that they should uh, take into consideration uh, for safety of the, the healthcare workers and safety of their patients? Or may, maybe you have other aspects you wanted to bring up. So let's hear from you a little bit. Yes, so <clears throat> mass shootings can be a whether uh, related to uh, to gun violence, mental illness, um, and so many other uh, reasons, it could also be uh, ideological. Uh, and in the end of the day, um, uh, an attack is an attack. Somebody, a group of people, using guns and killing others um, to try and, and 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 hurt as many people as possible. Uh, what we've seen, especially in the Middle East, uh, in, in certain parts of Africa is uh, the secondary attack that uh, the, the planners of the attack will have a secondary team that is waiting so that when all the magic uh, the emergency uh, responders first responders arrive to the scene then they carry the secondary attack on the entire group of of, of uh, first responders and everybody else so it's very important for uh, for um, to train medical first responders um to be aware of their surroundings and to be alert for anything around them that does not make sense. So yes, it's important also to um, to train uh, police and security forces to do that um, constant sweeping of the area and look for suspicious um, individuals, uh, but also the actual medical first responders themselves should constantly look around them and make sure that nothing around them that does not make sense is not um, is not uh, is not um, um, uh, addressed. Okay, so that's something that's very important. Uh, I can also tell you that from my experience uh, deploying security agents in many hospitals um, in Montreal, we've seen that sometimes when there is gang uh, gang violence um, and a gang member is brought into the hospital injured from uh, from an attempted um, uh, you know murder or something like that. Uh, sometimes um, the opposing gang would try and come to the hospital to finish the job. So that too is something that should be um, communicated to medical first responders that when you receive a patient uh, with gunshot wounds and you were told that this might be gang related, that the physicians should immediately alert the security personnel of the hospital close the doors or ask the police for extra manpower until um, until it's you know un until uh, you stabilize the situation because it did happen uh, it did happen to us also uh, with my guards reporting to me that they had to shut the doors because they saw people trying to get into the hospital and they immediately did one plus one and realized that that could be related for the ambulance that just came here 20 minutes ago so so it's so, so it's important for uh, for 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 medical for the medical staff to be to have a little bit of security and um, orientation um, and that brings me to something else um, 
just like the, the chicken and the egg uh, for training. Training is key. Training is important. I've trained um, thousands and thousands of, of school kids from daycare to, to, to high schools on, 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 on active shooter and lockdown. I think this is something that should also be trained to medical first responders because whether you're in, in the hospital and then something erupts within the hospital, you need to know what to do. So everybody knows the famous, you know, enter a room, lock the door, sit on the corner or in front of the door, shut the curtains and all that. It's extremely important. Um, we, we, we developed uh, something we call the, the, the turtle game uh, to teach uh, four and uh, five-year-olds how to um, pretend they're turtles and sit in a, in, a, in, a, in a circle in the corner of the room. Uh, and that's what we want them to do so that they hide there while the teacher does the entire lockdown procedure of locking the doors and so on. And we use two groups of toddlers in two separate circles in the room because they compete each other on who's faster and who's quieter. So the kids have no idea what's happening, but they still do what we want them to do to respond quickly and, and quietly. So, so without traumatizing your trainees, you still achieve what you want. So the importance of training um, and the first thing, like I said, uh, securing the attack site and having physicians aware of their environment because in the end of the day, um, you can have you can have the Navy SEALs surround the perimeter of your attack, but if somebody is already there within, it's only you, the physician, that will pay attention to them and, and respond. That's it. That's my two points. Thanks, Adam. I wanted to ask you a tough question. So I guess it's going to be open to everyone, but first uh, a question really for you. So how do you do a lockdown in addition to trying to get more medical staff inside the hospital to actually help with the response? Like it sounds like two opposite things that we're trying to achieve. And do you think there's something to do with the management of uh, access, uh, certain entrances used for specific purposes? What would be your thoughts on that? Basic triage. You can take uh, you can take um, a front desk administrator. You know, in the time of an emergency, you just decide that a certain again hospital front desk uh, front desk uh, administrator um, um, sits at the front with the security guards or this police officer, whomever it is, and do a quick triage of like, hi, I'm so and so. I'm a, I'm a doctor here. Or I'm a nurse here. I came very quickly uh, and shows a badge. And, and even if you have the slightest doubt, okay, sir, I'm sorry, but you'll have to open your jacket. I need to have a quick glimpse in, 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 your, in, 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 your, in your briefcase in case you really have a really hard time associating that person as a medical um, employee of the facility. Uh, but even that by itself is enough. And, and, and you need to understand that it's also about uh, deterrence. Because if I'm a bad guy and I want to come inside and, and, and do something, I, I want to get out of there alive and, and, and run away. So if I observe the facility and I see that there is some sort of, of barricading of the door, some sort of a triage, some sort of question asking, or even if I just see a police car in front of the main entrance and in front of the side entrance of the hospital, I will say to myself, all right, I'll wait for that bad guy to leave the hospital in a few days. I'll finish it then. I will not go into the hospital. And we are not into resolving gang violence. We're into securing our medical 
first responders and other patients from the violence from the street being brought into the hospital. I wanted to say, like, isn't it uh, like a good idea to create a track like at this checkpoint that you're suggesting? Well, could there be like a track for uh, clinicians, like medical personnel and and uh, those who are not associated with the hospital, they're not employees or anything? Could there be? Because, I mean, I'm just trying to think if a vascular surgeon has to come in to go to the OR, that's super urgent. And I can't imagine that person would be stuck in a, a super long checkpoint line. That's absolutely right. Um, if you want to do this in, in our context, you should have a separate entrance for staff and volunteers, secured entrance. But there are a few reasons for that. You want to be able to stage people and space becomes an issue. Uh, you want to be able, so if you have your, uh, all your volunteers and your physicians and other healthcare workers coming into separate entrance, you can have staff there who can identify them. Uh, and you can also put them somewhere if they're waiting, for example, volunteers, stage them somewhere, brief them somewhere away from the patient intake, because that's going to be crowded and chaotic to begin with, number one. Number two, people coming in, through the patient care areas, may be grabbed by other people saying, can you take care of so-and-so? Can you get involved in such and such? That's going to be a stress that they don't need. Number three, the security issue. You can identify staff a lot more easily than you can identify someone nasty amongst the patients. So if you have staff separately, it is easier to identify who's legit and who isn't. So my strong suggestion, this is done in a lot of hospitals, separate entrance away from the chaos for the staff people and in an environment where people use a lot of cars, separate parking uh, so that they, they, they're not blocking flow of other vehicles. Okay, let's hear a little bit from uh, Nick Zell. So Nick, you're a second year eMERGE resident. Uh, you have quite a bit of experience reading uh, the emergency medicine literature and you've been through at least one uh, disaster preparedness uh, exercise in uh, 2022. I know of that. So I'd just like to hear your thoughts in general about the paper. And if there was something that caught your attention that you thought was particularly interesting or alternatively that you didn't quite understand and you'd like to ask a question. Um, I think I, I would actually mirror a lot of things that, um, that Daniel had originally said. Um, some of his kind of criticisms uh, about the paper, actually, uh, certainly in terms of who who they had involved and uh, the the diversity of people that they had. I mean, they had 15 uh, clinicians that ended up being involved in the Delphi process, only about 20 of which uh, were female physicians. Um, and the article doesn't actually comment on any of the diversity and the other aspects of diversity uh, that might have gone into the people uh, that were involved and the clinicians that had, had input um, about this project. Um, which I think is an important thing when you're trying to run um, these expert opinion panels and you have a, and you're trying to the whole point of it is to have uh, many different opinions that I think diversity is a very important por portion of that. Um, and it wasn't actually something that was commented on at all uh, by the authors. So that was something that I found uh, lacking. Um, I agree that uh, the majority of the of the uh, recommendations that they came up with, uh, certainly, you know, um, rang a bell and being very familiar things that we definitely talk about in a lot of emergency preparedness. Um, and I think because of that, because they weren't be coming up with a lot of uh, novel ideas, um, I don't think it would have really behooved these authors to possibly have taken a couple like next steps 
um, you know, comment on, you know, it's hard to, with, I, I believe it's 12 recommendations, it's hard to say here, implement 12 things at the same time. Anybody who does a lot of productivity work, the, a lot of a common thing is to break things down into steps um, and to try to say, prioritize what, what should, what would perhaps be the highest um, impact, what can we prioritize to get these steps done first and, and go from one to the other? Uh, what were some of the things that I, I think I would have really appreciated uh, them addressing in the article? Um, Thanks, Nick. So it's time for me to summarize a little bit uh, what we want to take home from this article. And then obviously, I always give a chance for someone to speak up again before we end uh, the recording. So in summary, this is... Um, expert opinion publication, uh, <coughs> explaining to us uh, what are some recommendations uh, for improved healthcare response to mass shootings. Uh, the participants all were involved in six uh, large and recent uh, mass shootings in the USA. Uh, there could be improved diversity in the group of participants. We would have liked to see uh, more nurses and potentially also allied health uh, representation, maybe uh, security agents could have provided uh, uh, input as well, uh, just to name a few. Uh, there were several recommendations that actually apply to external disaster response in general. So having a proper communication plan, uh, having a notification method uh, for the personnel that, that is mass notification, not individual calling or texting, uh, also to train in a multidisciplinary and recurrent fashion. So all those types of recommendations are appropriate for all types of disasters. We did identify one recommendation that potentially could be specific for mass shootings, which is this uh, idea that uh, the triage tools that we currently use in the field and in certain hospitals also, like the START and the SALT, don't actually work well for uh, gunshots and for mass shootings. And therefore, uh, I uh, recommend that this group makes a little effort to look into this and report back to the audience regarding what could be used other than Gestalt, because Gestalt is always gonna be an option, uh, but uh, is there something in the literature that we could uh, review? Okay, and the last uh, summary point is uh, the importance of security awareness, which uh, Adam Cohen brought forward, and that was not discussed in this paper, the importance of ensuring that uh, on scene and in the hospital, the healthcare workers and responders are safe, and there needs to be some sort of protection uh, at the entrances uh, and the checking who's coming in, uh, in a way that doesn't impede the key uh, personnel for the response uh, that, that need to come in quickly, they, these people should be, should be fast-tracked. So those are the key points I think we can take uh, from this paper. Daniel, if you wanted to say something, go ahead. Of course I wanted to say something. Uh, Jared made a good point that this is a predominantly American problem in the sense of volume. It does happen elsewhere, but it doesn't happen frequently elsewhere. And because of that, we need to be very careful not to create a whole separate process for this that's just going to tie up training time, cause uh, more confusion and so on. It's reasonable to have a triage uh, tool that's enhanced for this, 
but I think we need to be careful. If it's not a frequent occurrence, we should stick to our all hazards plan and nuance it as, uh, as required. Uh, so that would be my key take home. The only other thing is that a lot of the issues that they raise uh, are tools that already have been developed. Uh, and there are a lot of resources on the SEEP website that people can go to to take care of a lot of this. Uh, so just go look and you'll find most of the stuff already done. All right. Thank you. I have two hands up. So let's start with uh, Heather Coons. Uh, I know the numbers are small, but certainly there's an article that looks at a hundred and some uh, shooting victims. And they say that in that group of the fatalities, there was only 7% that had uh, survivable injuries, most of which were chest injuries, 89% actually. So if, but we don't have good data on large numbers. So that's the big problem with that. But that still would behoove us of developing a better triage tool, maybe something fairly simple, uh, if it wasn't already available uh, for mass shootings. Uh, two other quick points. I think it matters also whether this is a large venue outdoors versus a contained venue where you can do the triage, you know, where people aren't scattered immediately. So I think those are all points to consider when we're, uh, when we're looking at this. And we, I think we all agree training matters, uh, you know, uh, start, to, start to finish, multidisciplinary uh, for the public, for us, for everyone. I think that's, that's my, uh, my two cents. <laughs> so I had a couple of comments on the, the, the commentary that immediately followed this uh, article. And again, that's expert opinion on the expert opinion, but I, they they raised two points. Um, the first was that large scale exercises are kind of like the only way to go about this. Um, and the second point was that we need creative solutions. The first point I think we have, we, we know, or we, at least we can find out, there's lots of studies on what large scale exercises do and what they don't do. Um, so I don't necessarily, agree that that's the only way to train for this kind of thing. Um, we train with large-scale exercises when what we want to accomplish is what large-scale exercises are designed to accomplish, and we won't get into that here. But the other recommendation that the invited commentary made was that we need creative solutions for that, and I think that's absolutely true. When we're talking about infrequent, high-impact, um, overwhelming events we need to prepare to be creative we can't prepare with strict dogma and protocols okay last comment goes to nick zelt go ahead i just wanted to to say a quick word i think we've commented a few times on sort of the development of better triage systems and things like that and uh, for maybe any hopeful researchers that are out there it can be very intimidating to try to go about uh, making something like this especially when you're always going to be compared to gestalt which is a very intimidating thing to try to be compared to because very people are very experienced and very good at their jobs who do this um but as is very well documented with things like the well score for dbts you know once once you've made um, things like this, like the Wells score or triage systems, um, through their use, um, the factors that go into them really become incorporated into the global like clinician gestalt. Um, and so even if it might seem in intimidating um, to try to make a good score that's going to do better than, than the experience of a doctor, um, you're really building on that experience and making sort of future clinicians 
um, thinking processes better, uh, just to try to inspire anybody uh, to try to make a new and a better um, triage systems. All right, great comment. And uh, on this uh, note, we're going to end and I would like to extend an invitation to any nurses out there that would be interested in joining this podcast. Uh, so the invent invitation uh, is uh, permanent. And so we'd love to have some nurses uh, involved. We've had in the past in the, the episode on triage, which uh, was great. Um, we uh, would like to uh, organize a session with uh, some of you out there, uh, nurses, paramedics as well, who would like to join, please uh, write to us. Thank you everyone for joining and thank you to our guests today, Nicholas Zelt, Dr. Heather Coombs, Adam Cohen. Thank you so much. And of course, uh, Danielle and Jared, uh, my two uh, usual uh, partners in crime here. And it'll be a pleasure to meet up again in 2023.